Well, greetings in Jesus' name. Uh, it's good to be with the people of God. I was challenged when the song that said we're the, the 19 9, Lord, whence are the blood drops all the way that mark the mountain's track? They were shed for one who had gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are the hands so rent and torn? They're pierced tonight with many thorn. You know, isn't that true? You know, if we think, what, what's the bloody track that Christ left pursuing us? This morning, I'd like to talk a little bit about the fear of God and what that does in our life. You can turn to Psalms 34. What is the fear of the Lord? How do we get it? What does it teach us? What does it motivate us to do? In Psalms 34, in verse 7, we read, The angel of the Lord campeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good, in verse 8, Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want or no lack to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This morning, as we look at God's word, we're going to be doing a lot of looking at various scriptures, and I want you to see, I want us to see what it is that the Lord wants to teach us about fearing Him. And by the way, one thing I was blessed by what you shared, Jake, one of those things is when we seek the Lord diligently, then we learn those things. You know, we serve a God who Yes, he loves us, he cares for us, cares about us. But, you know, he, he's not, he says you're not going to lack any good thing. But even in that, he gives us mercy, he gives us grace, we don't deserve. But even that, there's still a thing where God, he still demands holiness. I'd like to do a little pop quiz for some of you, perhaps, who are students of the Word. <coughs> Maybe. The fear of the Lord. And uh, I'd like for you to think a little bit about what the Bible says about the fear of the Lord. Now, I'd like to hear from you guys what, finish the statement. The Bible says it in numerous different ways. Yes. Yeah. What else? Yeah. 
Tendeth to life. Here's one that I found. Yes, a strong confidence. To hate evil was one. A fountain of life. Yes. Clean. And in the beginning of wisdom... There's, there's several that, that refer to it that way. There's the beginning of wisdom. Um, the beginning of knowledge was another one, which might be similar to that. Uh, prolongs days was one I found. But I think this gives us a good place to start, unless there's anyone else that has anything yet, that we'd like to look at this morning. Turn in the Bible to 1 Peter 1. We're going to look there for a text for several verses. First Peter 1, we're going to start at uh, verse 13. We'll read it and then we'll back up and, and look at it in a little more detail. Verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges every man, I'm sorry, judges according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear. Or your sojourning would be your temporary residence. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, and that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unlove, unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, and by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever." Now, I, I find the word fear here, I, I, was, I often thought of fearing God. It was a reverence, an awe, a respect. In here, we find it 
with this definition. To be put in fear, alarm, fright. To be afraid exceedingly. Terror. So I want us to think this morning that rather than putting fear in the same category as reverence and respect, let's look at it as two separate things. And we're going to look at that a little bit. In Psalms 89, you don't have to turn, I'm going to read a few verses here, you don't have to turn to them. But it says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and he hath reverence of all them that are about him. Here we see the difference. Fear and reverence. Another one in Hebrews 12, 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So if we look at the fear of the Lord, how do we get it? How does it, how does it take possession of our lives? If we look at the first couple of verses here in uh, 1 Peter 1, it, the thing that I see him telling us is we need to understand God is holy. Until we understand he's holy, uh, until we understand the magnitude of his holiness, and how much that separates us, it's going to be difficult for us to possess a fear of God. In verse 13, we read, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which is called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Holiness simply, by definition, means that which is set apart from the common or the profane. Holy, the opposite of holiness is not only profanity, but just common, ordinary is also, it's set apart from that. So he is entitled to our reverence and respect because of his holiness. I found it interesting, I was looking at some of the names, some of the way God's revealed himself in the scripture, and I listed about a half a dozen of them, of the different names that he gives that, that exalt his holiness. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but Elohim, was one, the God of strength and power, which is the plural form of El, the Most High God, the Almighty, the Covenant Keeper. Jehovah, the eternal self-existent one, and by the way, that's the most commonly used throughout the Old Testament scripture. And what more does he need to say? The eternal self-existent one. El Shaddai, the strong and mighty God, the Almighty, the God of sufficiency and blessing. Adonai, the divine shepherd, I'm sorry, divine Lord and sovereign master. Again, he is supreme. And Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it and provide. By the way, God revealed himself 
that way to Abraham after he saw the ram caught in the thicket? The Lord will see to it and provide. That's what Abraham named that place after God provided a lamb for him. I'm going to read a few more verses you don't need to turn to, but in Hebrews 12, 28, these are, these are, we're looking at the fear of God and how we get it. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Second Corinthians 5, 9 through 11 says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according as he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we made manifest unto God, and I trust also made manifest in your conscience. Here again, we find the word terror, alarm. These are not, well, these aren't what we call scare tactics. We don't scare people into heaven, but unless we realize our need, our separation from this holy God, we'll never see a need of him. We'll never see the need to be reconciled again. That's the reason I'm looking at some of these scriptures, and they sound a bit... Um, fearful, which they are, I guess, really, by their own, by their own uh, revelation. Hebrews 10, 30 and 31, for we know him that saith, vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. And that is immediately followed with the verse, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And that word is literally translated formidable. And this is not in the context of evil men. It says the Lord will judge his people. And then he goes on in that passage to, to remind them of their former state in which they were. Somehow we need to get a grip on, on God. As Isaiah said that your iniquities have separated between you and your God. I love what Isaiah said when he saw the Lord. He said, he saw the Lord high and lifted up and, and his presence filled the temple. The place shook and the, the, the post removed. Then he said, woe is me. And early in my Christian life, the Lord helped me to understand that until we see the holiness of God, we will never see our own undoneness. Ah, well, I'm not perfect, we say. Or, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. But God said you've been called to be saints. In Second Chronicles, chapter 19 and verse 7, we find, Wherefore, now let the fear of the Lord be upon you, and take heed, and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. You can't bribe God. And here in verse 17 in our text we find, And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judges 
every, I'm sorry, judges according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear. We need to understand that, yes, we have the confidence in Christ to approach him, but God is holy. And if we get a glimpse of that, it should motivate us to pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. In Joel 2, we find, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is at nigh at hand. You know, when we look at the fear of the Lord, I, I find it interesting through the Old Testament how many times worldly kings responded to the fear of the Lord. I like to, well, I, I was a bit troubled. I, I read a, an article on the recent inauguration and the, uh, the um, agenda that was set forth directly, directly assaults that which God has called pure and holy. But I found where King Darius, when he had released Daniel from the lion's den, he made a decree. And I think it'd be great if we'd hear this from Washington. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed in his dominion, shall be even unto the end. That's a nation God can bless. I'd like to look at, um, turn to Jeremiah 5, and we'll look at a few things where God addresses his people concerning the fear that he wants them to have in their eyes. Jeremiah 5, verse 21. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have hears, ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for a bound by the sea, by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass by it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. I had to think of the tsunami. I watched, you know, some of, as you watch the waters that went miles inland, but it still had to submit to the decree. It had to go back out again. There's still laws that God has set in effect. And I find it interesting, God appeals to the people through this way. He says, don't you, doesn't that put any fear in you that I have set up a, a world that functions in order? But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart they're revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart. Let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both in the former and the latter, in his season. And he reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. Now, when we looked at that list that we made. I mean, I find it interesting when... It's a fountain of life. It's that which sustains us. How then, I mean, God is saying, 
He's going to withhold these blessings. Throughout the Old Testament, he said, you do the things that are in this law, I'll bless you. You don't do it, and all the things that are written in this law are going to come upon you. And here again, he's just making an appeal to the people. You're not saying in your heart, let us now fear the Lord, who gives us all things richly to enjoy. So then how did this fear get inside of us? Without a knowledge of the word of God, you will never understand the fear of God. This word is Jesus Christ in printed form. We say, well, we have the Holy Spirit. We're born again. We receive the Spirit. We do. But he's not going to teach us anything new. Jesus said, when I go, I'm going to send you the Comforter, and he's going to come alongside you, and he's going to teach you all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We can't expect a revelation from God without a knowledge of his word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where do we get our wisdom? Wisdom that is above, from above, is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy being treated. But that just from below is sensual, devilish. If we want to fear the Lord, we need to know the heart of God. With, with that comes a life of holiness. Because if we fear him, we stand in fear of falling into the hands of a living God one day. Will that not motivate us to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And I think the second thing about the fear of the Lord does, it is essential to find victory over sin. Which again comes back to the thing of getting in the word. We know what God's word says. And as we understand that, we can do what Jesus did when the temptation came. It is written. What do I do when temptations come? There was, in a point in my life, there was a little, little pet sin that I had that um, I didn't like it, but it controlled me. It dominated me. And I would clench my fists with white-knuckle determination. I will never fall to sin, to that particular sin. But it's not until the Lord helped me to understand that He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, the sin in my life certainly was not godliness. So as I began to look, I discovered we go to the Word and say, it is written, it puts an authority in our life. It's not me, it's not who I am, who I am in Christ, but it's the authority of the Word of God. That is the kind of authority God has invested in us when we become a part of the kingdom of heaven. God has put, has, Jesus has said at the right hand of the Father, angels, principalities, authorities, there's a list, I can't put it together right now, but that are put subject under the feet of Jesus. It also says that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ, he's in us. That gives us the authority to act. 
Authority is not to be confused with power. Power is, is kind of like you've, you've got a, I, I uh, used to take an interest in football somewhat, but you've got the, you've got the 275-pound lineman. He knows all about power. He knows how to handle it. But if there's a little fella out there that only stands to his shoulders, he has a black and white striped hat on, that man has authority. When the whistle blows, he comes into subjection under that little man. Now, in heavenly places, we need to understand it's not our size, but in the, the clothes we wear, as it were, the garment of righteousness. We are in Christ. We abide in Christ. Gives us authority. But we will never know that to a greater extent than what we know the Word of God. Now, that perhaps on a little different note, I mean, I understand the Scripture says that if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But that's maybe another subject for another day. Not to be, I mean, that, that is, with walking in the Spirit, when we walk with Him and we live in the Word and in the Spirit, in a sense, they can't be separated. But I'd Turn with me to Proverbs 1, and I'd like to think about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge, it says. No, I, think I found about five different places that it says it's the beginning of wisdom in Scripture. Another place it said it's the instruction of wisdom. And here we're going to see that. In verse, starting in verse 20, I'd like to read there to the end. And keep this in mind with the idea of wisdom equals the fear of the Lord. The knowledge of God's word, the wisdom. In verse 20, Proverbs 1, we find, Wisdom crieth without the streets, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city... She uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and the fools hate knowledge. I'd like to stop here a little bit and, and take notice the contrast we're seeing here. There's, there's the wisdom on one side. On the other side, we find the simple, the scorners, and the fools who hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you, and I will make known my words unto you. Different places in scriptures we find where it talks about the spirit of wisdom. There's the spirit of the Lord, but there's also mentioned the spirit of wisdom that comes upon people. And here wisdom is saying, I will give you my spirit and make known unto you my words. Comes with knowledge. The word of God, we need to get that in order to get the wisdom. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, but ye have said it not my counsel, and would none of my reproof. And that, that would in there just simply means that you didn't regard it. You didn't pay attention. You didn't regard any of my reproof. Because of this, wisdom is saying, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Now there's 
when I look at this, and, and he's talking about the fear that comes, and it says, when your fear comes, there's desolation, your destruction comes in a whirlwind, even distress and anguish cometh upon you. So we're looking at the fear of God. Okay, well, let me, let me rephrase it. If we don't have the fear of God, what do we have? It, I, I almost get the picture that we're in, we, we will always stand in fear of something. To the extent that when we fear God, there is no fear. <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, the fear of God will trump out all other fears because now we know we're in Him, we're in his, under His care, we're under His authority. Let's read on in... Uh, then here's wisdom again, verse 28, saying, Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? For because that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Knowledge and the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. You made your bed, now sleep in it. You reject the counsel of wis that, that wisdom, the word, has to offer you. You find yourself in this desperate calamity. The Bible says you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Now, I don't find in Scripture that the law of sowing and reaping is ever reversed. God gives grace, but the law of sowing and reaping, there can be the dearest saint that you know, the person you think of the most who has, has been the, the most influential on others because of his walk with the Lord. If, he, th if there's sin, I, I know, I'll share one man that I know. He, he uh, very, very much a man of God. But because of the sin of his youth, he had a stepson. Now, is God able to redeem it? He is. But the fact of the matter is the sowing and reaping never quit. Continues. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Verse 32, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. So we are looking at the fear of evil versus the fear of the Lord. You know, the guy who doesn't trust going through town without a shotgun behind his seat, I'd say he's living in fear. But the man who trusts in the Lord here, it says, he shall be quiet from fear of evil because he fears the Lord because he knows what God said. He knows his position. Now let's turn over to Deuteronomy 5. I'm sorry. 
Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. The knowledge of God's law has... God, through the Old Testament, continued to admonish his people. Hear my law and fear me. He kept saying that. And here we, we kind of get this message in Deuteronomy 4 and chapter, in verse 5. It says, Behold, I have taught you the statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses speaking. That ye should do so in the land, whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding. The fear of the Lord brings knowledge. It brings wisdom. In the sight of the nations, which ye shall hear all these stat- which shall hear all these statutes, and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. Even the heathen recognize those who are filled with knowledge. And we'll look at it a little later, but the fear of God comes on them because of it. In verse 7, it says, For what nation is there so great who God, who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord God, the Lord thy God in Horeb. And when the Lord said unto me, Gather to me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me. Here we see again. A knowledge of God's word brings fear. They may learn to fear me all the days and that they shall live upon the earth and they may teach their children's children. And another place in Deuteronomy, it says, he, he mentions, he says, your children didn't see the mighty things that God did for you. But that's the reason you teach them this law that he gave back there. So they also learn to fear. It doesn't only take these mighty works to see the, the mighty hand of God. There's a whole lot of people, I think, on 9-11 that probably would have confessed to fear the Lord. There was all-night prayer vigils. Churches were bursting at the seams for overflow of people. But what about the generation who doesn't see, perhaps, God move in a mighty way? Have we learned the law of God that is to set us in a proper fear. In Psalms 19, the Bible says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The law of the Lord is perfect. In Romans, it says the law is just, it's holy, What's the third thing? Good? I forget right now. I'd have to look. I think it's in Romans 7. But the, the point is, the law of God, without the law of God, there's no knowledge of sin. 
How, how would you know, okay, say you meet a man in the street. Do you know Jesus? Well, I have no need of him. Whoa. But don't you fear Christless eternity? Why should he fear Christless eternity when he goes throughout, he, has, he lives here without Christ, what's a Christless eternity? He doesn't understand, he hasn't been convicted that his sins have separated between him and God. The law helps him to understand it is written. Every man has some law written on his heart. Whether they know the Ten Commandments or not, it's not okay if I come take his pickup. He knows that. He doesn't have to be a Christian. These are laws that are written on the heart. There's, there's some things of right and wrong. As much as people try to legislate that away, there, there are laws that are written within them, but we need to help them understand that these very laws that are in their heart are what separate them. That's what makes them need salvation and a Savior. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimonies of God, it brings us the wisdom that we need. You don't need to turn to it. In Deuteronomy 31, we read, when all, the children, when all Israel has come together to appear before the Lord thy God, the place which he shall choose, Thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women, children, the stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words in this law. And that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land, whithersoever ye go, over Jordan, whither you go to possess it. Remember, we're sojourners here. As long as we live here, we need to know that law. We also find in, in Deuteronomy 6 where it gives us the admission that we need to, to talk to our children about the law all the time. It's a part of our daily life. I, <laughs> I found it interesting. I was sitting in the living room, and uh, out of the dining room table, our children were playing puzzles, and the one was throwing some pieces, and he, he was admonished to, to stop. And uh, throwing didn't stop, so he says, you need to stop throwing things. The Bible says you're not supposed to throw stuff. <laughs> well, we can't make the Scripture say what we want, but... I was blessed to hear that somehow they're getting a hold that the foundation by which we do what we do is the word. Have we made it a part of everyday life? Don't do that because I told you not to. May work at times. But what foundation? It's my job to point their hearts to the Father. How will I do that without them knowing the law of God, the word of God? I'm going to flip over to Deuteronomy 10. If you want to, you can follow me there and read several verses. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 to the end. 
And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Does that phrase sound familiar? A lot of us are familiar with the one in Micah where it says, What doth the Lord require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. I'd like to challenge, let's learn this one just as well. And in the comma, and both passages have a little comma, it says, And thou, O man, put your name in there. And I have to say, do that here. And now, where it says Israel, put your own name in. What, and now, Doug, what doth the Lord thy God require thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Again, we find that admonition. I'm going to go on and read on down here. There's a few other things I'd like to take a look at. To keep the commandments of the Lord and statutes, which I have commanded thee this day for thy good. God's not a killjoy. He's not trying to make our life miserable. It's for our good. We tell our children that. Well, why? Well, I have your best interest in mind. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, and the earth also with all that is therein. Only the Lord hath a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Even in God giving this Law, as we know it, the old law, he was still appealing to our hearts. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, neither taketh rewards. He doth execute judgment of the fatherless and the widow and loveth the stranger in giving them food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. We can't separate our love for God and our learning His law by our life with our brothers or strangers, not just brothers. One thing, you know, as we help those who cannot help, He talks about the fatherless and the widow. And you know, giving them food and raiment. How the more the more they learned to do that, the more they learned they were dependent. The Lord had to give them things. Verse twenty: Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and thou in Him shalt thou serve, and to Him shalt thou cleave, and swear by His name. He is thy praise, and He is thy God. He hath done for thee these things, great and terrible things, which thine eyes have seen. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons, and now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for a multitude. Again, we just see God's heart appealing. Learn my law. Let it build fear. A fear that motivates us to give to the stranger. A fear that motivates us to walk in holiness. Past the time of your sojourning here in fear. We don't really have the time. There was a number of places where the fear of the Lord was mentioned as, as a, a motivation. What happened when the fear of the Lord came on people? You know, when, when Saul, he went out and he 
took an oxen and chopped it in little bitty pieces and sent it out. And he said, now look, whoever doesn't join in here, you're going to be like this. And it says the fear of God came on all of Israel. And they all came out with one accord. Uh, there was another... Uh, one that I think is noteworthy, Jehoshaphat, when he was king, uh, he had the book of the law of the Lord, he read it, and then he taught all the people, and the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land that were round about Judah so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. It motivated his enemies. And not only that, all these, and it, I, I'm not gonna take time to read it, but they brought him gifts, they brought him just an incredible amount of gold and silver and, and they blessed him. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It brings blessing. And in the New Testament, we find the story of Anani- Ananias and Sapphira. You know, they sinned against the Holy Spirit and the Lord smote them and the fear of God came on the people. I think it was a fear to disobey. They were going to reverence, they were going to obey this God. Saul, the same thing, when he was converted. Right after Damascus Road, Barnabas takes him and says, hey, I'm going to go show you to the apostles. And he, and he proclaims on him how Saul was, had seen the Lord and been converted. And it says that they had peace in that area, but the fear of God came on them all. When we see a hardened criminal, uh, picture a person, Hitler, maybe. What would we say if we would see him of course, he's history past now, but what would we say if, if history would, would tell us that he would have com- become a, a great evangelist? I think that would stir something inside of us that says, wow, that's a big God. He can change hard, hard, stony hearts. But it says, they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. They were multiplied. So the fear of the Lord is also, I mean, along with that comes the comfort of the Holy Ghost. There's there's a peace that comes inside of us in knowing that. Now, there's one more thing I'd like to look at. This God is not some distant, big God that's not approachable. He has made a way through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we see where Well, when Jacob wrestled with God, he named that place after he was done. He said, because the Lord saw fit to spare my life. They understood that the presence of God must have meant death because they were so imperfect, so far removed from God. Uh, Samson's parents, an angel of the Lord showed up to them and he he offered him a cake and he touched it with his staff and fire consumed it and the angel disappeared in the fire and he said, his wife said, we're going to die. We've seen the Lord. He said, no. Your life is spared. This is the God that is saying, come unto me. In Acts 10.34, Peter said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The fear of the Lord, working righteousness, in Hebrews 4, it says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly 
to the throne of grace that we may be obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ephesians says, according to, it talks about Jesus Christ, and it says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. So somehow we need to find in our hearts a fear of a holy God, but in Christ. We abide in him and he abides in us. That makes us accepted in the beloved. That veil is, we have rights into that because we're in Christ. He's the high priest. There's, there's two passages that I'd like to look at, yet I'd like to leave with you. Hebrews 10.19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Ephesians talks about the washing by the water of the word. And, and if nothing else, I, I, want you, I want you to remember this verse in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. This, this is the reason I'm sharing this. This is the reason for understanding the fear of God. It says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amzi, would you like to close? Maybe I'll let you, if you have any comments or anything, you can dismiss.